Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's our other lore-focused columnist over on Blizzard Watch, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? Hello, everyone. How is it going? I don't know. <laughs> welcome to podcast. Welcome to podcast. <laughs> Our second co-host is also here as well. He knows his shaman and he knows his lore and his name is Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Hey. I How's am it going? To, I'm looking forward to today because we're going to be talking about a topic that's probably going to make my dog excited, oh, as it usually does. Your, your dog. Yeah, because we're talking about the, the the character who your dog is namesake to, and that would be Sylvanas Windrunner. I know we're probably you know a little late talking about this, but... Honestly, we do the show like every other week. And, and we have so much to talk about. There's well, only so many these, hours in a day. Yeah, we had these two things come out at once. We had the Anduin stuff that we talked about with the last episode. And then we had the short story. And I really wanted to get Anduin out of the way and talk about him because I thought that he was kind of a fascinating character. But I also want to address this too. There was a new short story that came out. Um, we weren't expecting a short story i don't think it just sort of dropped and it it's called dark mirror by steve denuser and i really hope that i am pronouncing his name correctly i've never heard it pronounced before um he's one of the lore people one of the big lore people over there one of the big creative development people over there at blizzard on world of warcraft and the story dark mirror is one that I wanted, but I didn't know that I wanted. It involves uh, Nathanos Maris, a.k.a. the Blightcaller, who got a model update in Legion. A big model update. He's no longer... Yeah. yeah, he's no longer this default male Forsaken model. He's actually got a character model. Well, I thought that was great in everything because, you know, he has like a slightly larger role in Legion. What we didn't know is that there is actually a lore reason for that change and it was explained in the story so i guess really if we want to start here we should start by talking about who nathanos maris is who he was when he was alive um rossi do you want to start with that well sure okay uh nathanos maris was the only human ranger lord uh when the far striders were, were going concern under the high elves they were being led by the Ranger General, who at the time was Sylvanas Windrunner. Uh, she had inherited the position from her mother. Um, it wasn't always an inherited position. It was just that it happened. She was – all the Windrunner sisters were, like, in the running to take it, basically. It was kind of like, yeah, the best Rangers we have are all Windrunners. Okay. Uh, Alaria, you want it? No. Okay. Sylvanas, you want it? I suppose. So, sure, yeah, Sylvanas why not? <laughs> Sylvanas was, you know, the, the Ranger General. Um, at the time, the, the High Elves and the Human Kingdom of Lordaeron were like bordering and sort of kind of warily trying to get along. And Nathanos basically went up and through his own abilities earned a position among them, which was extremely rare. The High Elves never really viewed humans as equals, like they were useful, but you know, you don't really want to get too close to them. So Sylvanas letting a human even in the Far Striders, much less become a Ranger Lord, was unprecedented. Uh, Nathanos was a big deal among humans because, as I said, he was the only human to ever do it. No other human ever even got into the Far Striders, much less became a Ranger Lord. Uh, and as a result, when the, the Third War came around and the, the Scourge broke out 
all over our Lord Iran and Nathanos died fighting, you know, trying to, to save his, his home and was raised from, you know, he became one of the, the, the scourge. Uh, Sylvanas basically went looking for him and that's, that's part of the story. So I don't want to go into more, too, too much more detail. Let's just say he was a big deal before he died. He was like a symbol of humanity's ability. Like a lot of people viewed him as a kind of a, I don't want to say a culture hero, but I can't think of what else the word you'd use for it. He, he was, you know, a sign that humans belonged, belonged in Lordaeron, that they were, you know, it was, they could do anything. They could even become rangers in the, you know, big high elf organization. So after his death, when he came back as the blight caller, he became Sylvanas's champion. And this was a huge problem for like the people in Stormwind who, a lot of whom were refugees from Lordaeron and, you know, for King Varian, even before Varian, in fact, when you, you do the original quest, it was Bolvar who freaked out over this. Even Bolvar was like, "No, not Maris, not Nathanos Maris." Uh, nobody, nobody unhuman wanted to hear that the the Blight Caller existed. They didn't want to hear that the once great champion of their people was now this monster. Keep in mind, but, I'm going to jump in here. No, Keep no, go in ahead. mind that that Nathanos was extraordinary among humankind because his abilities as as an archer as as a ranger were as a tactical a tactician yeah, as well yeah. like, don't forget that part they yeah, he were wasn't just so, a shooter they were Lord, so too. much more than human though that they were on par with this race of creatures who had developed this and it was almost like an art form at this point it's sort of like um gosh i don't know if there's an equivalent really that well, i can look think of this offhand. way Let's put it this way. Nathanos was so good that he could boast credibly to the Ranger General that he was a better shot than Lorthamar Theron or Haldoran Brightblade. And, and he and could back it up. Accurate. It, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't just an idle boast. It was accurate. He could, he was saying he could this, back that up. <laughs> he was saying this like, let them, if, if they have a problem with me, let's go. Now... To, to put that into perspective, I think the only two, the only person in the Rangers, gen, the only person in the Farstars at the time who was better than the two people I just mentioned, all had Windrunner in their name, one of whom he was talking to. Uh, and of archers on Azeroth, I think the only two who you can really say are better than them are Lady Vosh and Chandra's Feathermoon, who are much older. He's I think putting they're himself all probably in, pretty on par with each other. Yeah. He's putting himself in in league with some of people who've been around for thousands of years, and he's just in the span of he's a he's a human lifetime. He's a he's a surly human dude. So he's done it, and he's gotten to that level in a fraction of the time that it took any of the Windrunners yeah. or Lorthmar Theron or even you know Chandra's Feathermoon. Even the youngest Windrunner sister, Verissa who is not quite as good as Sylvanas. She's good, very good, but not quite as good as Sylvanas. Took hundreds of years to get there. And, and this Nathanos, guy did it in, you yeah, know, maybe to Maybe 40, 10. 10, Maybe even 20. just 10 by that time. Yeah, this is not... I don't remember how old he was. Like, there's not really... There's there's no... It's implied set, that he's at least in his 30s, but yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no real, like, set date for Nathanos to have become a ranger, nor is there an age assigned for when he died. It's just yeah. he died during the third war defending when his home. He was al- when he was alive, when he was at the height of his powers, he was old enough to have a like nephew in like the early te- like 10 to 12 years old. Yeah. But that's not, you know, he could have been it's 25. It's not much of himself. an indicator though. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't know much, but we do know that 
Nathanos was such a big deal that the Alliance basically sent up an army to kill him. I know, because I was in it. Um, and we went up there, and we tried doing it, and it wasn't easy. And it didn't even matter. Like, we did it, and he just got back up. Yeah, like, the whole like, reason... The, the whole reason that people were so horrified, though, was because this guy was a big deal among mm-hmm. human among humanity. He had would, kind of he was like there, an Olympian or something like that, you know, only it, beyond it would, that. I'd say it would be like finding out that um, to use an example. So finding out that Gavin Rad the Dyer was a death knight or finding out that, you know, Uther had become a Torin. Although that one would be we just be like, what? Everybody would just be like, what? <laughs> Hi, guys, I'm a Torin now. No, Uther had become a warlock. That would be... Yeah, uh... yeah okay, that's yeah, that's more like it. Uther's a Torin would just confuse everyone. <laughs> Where's he at? Uther's now, and now I'm on Team Evil. Gul'dan's my bro. What? Okay. What? Yeah. So yeah, that that's Nathanos in a nutshell. I feel like we've covered who he was. Okay. Uh, Joe, do you have anything to add to that? Just that from the Horde side of things, especially after he uh, he died in Risen, there were some interesting things uh, before the Alliance tried to murderate his face. Um, like, he would send adventurers to go get weird things of, of like, elven and human artifact origin, so to speak, like the Quel'Thalas Registry, uh, things like that. And it was it was interesting, too, because not only was he requesting these things, but he was looking for new and interesting ways to destroy the elves that once tormented him in life. And I thought that was kind of a, just a cool little touch, even back in the vanilla days. Uh, that was just that, that that's entirely what I envision. Like you spend your entire life being told you're not good enough, even though you are. Then you get a second chance at unlife. Well, time to go murder some people like it was just it fits so perfectly. Like I, I absolutely I don't know why that sticks with me. But I remember like going to get him things. And in the meantime, he's like, OK, I'm going to go over here now because there's some elves and uh, I'm going to go rip off their ears and see what happens. I think what stuck out to me the most about Nathanos was how surly he was. Like He was just he was downright surly. It didn't matter that you were there to do favors for him. You were beneath him and he treated you as such. And well, I mean, didn't... we were. <laughs> yeah, technically speaking, yeah, you were, because, I mean, look at where, who he was at the height of his humanity. Um, when he died, he did not die fighting in Kel'Thalas or anything like that. He died out there on the Maristead, defending his home. Um, Against Ramsay and the Gorger, right? Yeah. When, yes. When he was raised, he, like every other scourge that was raised, had no real memory of their humanity it you, when you're when you're raised a scourge it's just you're you're kind of like this mindless creature that's under the control of the lich king and all you know is what the lich king tells you to do what the commands tell you to do and most of the time that involves killing a lot of killing <laughs> a lot of killing um to make more scourge and then you go and you kill more things um Sylvanas, obviously, Sylvanas broke free because there was that kind of wavering moment where where the Lich King lost control, and it was just enough of a moment that Sylvanas could break free, and so did a lot of people in Lordaeron. Nathanos wasn't one of those people. He wasn't one of those that original group of Forsaken. Sylvanas went to him very deliberately and snapped him out of it, and they talk about that in Dark Mirror. They they actually go into detail about that particular part of his story um, because he's got no awareness of, of who he is until Sylvanas shows up and says his name 
at, at which point he snaps out of it which not only not only is it kind of interesting that Sylvanas would go to you know Nathanos out of everybody she immediately thinks to go to Nathanos she's like I need a champion this guy this guy will do it but she's powerful enough to break what remained of the Lich King's hold over him just with but her I voice I think that's twofold though because like not only is it the the power of her command as the story dictates as it lays out it's the power of their interaction in the past, their relationship that they've had let's, as well. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Because it's pretty obvious here that Sylvanas, I mean, she made Nathanos champion. She made Nathanos a ranger lord because he had the ability and the skill and everything else, she right? Was his, she was his teacher. Yeah. She was the one that trained him in the ways of, of the elven combat. Like Beyond that. That's an, that. Beyond that, oh, are you guys going to keep dancing around this? Or are we no, just we gonna... are. Oh no, I, I, I want to like that. that, that uh, I'm sitting going. You go guys ahead. are kind of pushing. It transitioned. Here. It transitioned from her being the teacher to very obviously them being lovers. Like it's right there. It is plain as day, and it, it's... they pretty much spell it out here in the story. Oh, yeah. And it's never been spelled out quite as plainly as it is right here. And it makes sense. Right? My wife's my wife's exact statement was, "Unless your last name is Murdoch." You don't get to t- to identify a person by their smell when they're like way behind yep. you. Yep. You know, um, that's that's something you only do if you've smelled it a lot. Uh, so yeah, it, the story is pretty blatant. They these it, two people were lovers, and it fills in a gap that we've all well, I shouldn't say we all, but a lot of people have assumed for years. Because why would she come back to look for a lowly human risen? Why would she come back? Why would she go through all this trouble well, for one Well, because he was the Ranger Lord, and that makes sense. He was really Even powerful, that. so that makes sense. But this just adds another dimension to that, I think. It's the icing on the cake. It fills in the last gaps, right? And here's the fun part. Apparently, if you're a Windrunner, you're destined to get with a human. Is what I'm gathering. I've, yeah, we've got Alaria, Teralion, we've got Verisa and... Uh, Ronin, and now we've got Sylvanas and Nathanos. I'm going to say this. I, one of the things I thought when I when I first read the story, and I even remember writing, I wish my dog would shut up outside. Um, uh, one of the things I remember writing when I was writing the queue about it, the, like the day after it dropped, was that it kind of makes sense that the Windrunners would look outside their people because the Windrunner name is like right up there with like Sunstrider in terms of what it means in in what that was then High Elven and what is now Blood it's like Elven a dynasty. society. Yeah, it's it's a big deal. Um, the fact that the only remaining Windrunner is is still a High Elf is kind of a sign that the Blood Elves are never really going to to heal. They're never going to completely be to come back from what the Lich King did to them. Um, and that you know that's it makes sense that they wouldn't because it's a huge deal. But at the time when when they were like kids and growing up, the Windrunners, you know, all of them, including Lirath, like the dead brother and all the various cousins and so forth who died, they would have known that their family legacy dates back to coming across with, with Dathramar. The very first Farstrider Ranger General was a Windrunner. Um, Thasdora, the Windrunner bow, has been, you know, the symbol of Quel'Thalas as much as anything, as much as Quel'Dalar. It was, you know, the, the, the pressure on them is enormous. You're told from birth, essentially, your life isn't yours. You're, you know, you're not going to be a normal per, you know, normal elf. You're not going to, not for you. You're not going to get to go and pursue magic, and you know, because you have a job. You know, you were born with a destiny, and that destiny is to protect your people. 
Um, so, and you can see how each of them were, was affected by it in different ways. Um, Varese is kind of the rebel where she's like, no, I want to go out and find my own destiny. Uh, Alaria is more like, well, if that's my destiny, fine, then I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to be the Ranger general because that's too much. I, I would, you know, I would take away from what I'm good at. I'm better at the actual going out and killing than I am at telling people what to do. And then you have Sylvanas who's her entire life, or, oh, the entire time Sylvanas was alive, she was duty obsessed to the exception of pretty much everything else. Like she didn't have the typical life. If you look at the, the, the high elf, the way high elf lives went, she didn't have it. She, she was Ranger general from a fairly early age and, you know, had her mother kind of sitting there watching her as she took over. Her mother resigned before she, you know, her mother wasn't Ranger general anymore before she died. Uh, and that's, that means Sylvanas basically had this legend watching her do it. And then Illyria there too, also watching her do it. Illyria, who everyone thought was going to be Ranger general. So there's a lot of pressure on them. So I kind of understand why they might look outside of high elves. And the thing about humans is for all their various faults, they don't give a rat's ass about Quell the Loss. Or they the politics care. they're in, right? Yeah, they don't. Yeah. What does Nathanos care about? You know, Halderon obviously had his eyes on Sylvanas. So did Kael'thas. That's that's stated. Oh, yeah. Kael'thas, and it's, you know, and it's not, uh, it's not out of love either. It's like there's no, a lot of political politics. motivation. Yeah, exactly. It's domestic, you know. If you're a, if you're a Sunstrider, who who are you going to marry? Well, the Windrunners are good enough. Like you know, there's there's only so many families in Quel'Thalas that you, you know you could even think about marrying, and the Windrunners are one of them. That's that's why I think you you see the, the three Windrunner sisters all kind of rebel in their own way, and they all kind of rebel with the the group that's the closest and yet furthest away from them. Humans are one you know the... closer but farther away. One of the lines in the story actually kind of reinforces that. And it made me laugh when I read it, too, because Nathanos was talking to, to Sylvanas, and this was this was a flashback sequence. And Sylvanas said, Lorthamar says, you hide yourself away because you're intimidated by elven archers. And he says, flat out, he says, Lorthamar Theron is a fool. He's better suited to politics than the life of a ranger. He uses politics as an insult. Not only does he yeah. use politics as an insult, but it's actually become this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Because what is Lorthamar Theron doing right now? <laughs> politics, yeah. <laughs> and he hates it. <laughs> it. It's interesting, like, you know, so the Windrunners, you kind of have that, that setup where not only are they, it's a lot expected of them, but they're just plain, I don't want to say better, but as a family, like, it's it's almost like they're, even the worst of them is like is a hero of the classical sense. They're going to do things and transcend everything that anyone else could possibly do. Like, like you mentioned with Sylvanas breaking the Lich King's control and breaking it not only for herself, but breaking it for Nathanos, you know, or Varisa who basically restarts the Rangers or Illyria who goes off to hunt the orcs single-handedly. They're like, it's, it's a lot for other people to live up to as well. So again, it makes sense that you'd want to be with someone who doesn't think about it. Who isn't intimidated by your last name? Who isn't intimidated by what you do? Because they don't really know. They don't really understand. You know, it's it's not an issue for them. I don't know. That's just my take on it. It makes it kind of interesting because the dynamic between the two of them is interesting, and it kind of transcended even after death. I mean, like I said, she went to him specifically to break him from the Lich King's thrall and bring him back to her side to serve as her champion. 
And that's who he was when we ran into him in Vanilla. He was the blight caller. He was Nathaniel's blight caller, champion of the Banshee Queen, if I remember right, was his title. Um, and when you went to fight him, you went to fight him with a full raid of people, and you needed to fight him with a full raid of people if you had any hope of bringing him down. People um, often brought two raids. He was one a raid powerhouse. to fight him. And, one raid, you know, to, fight one raid him, to fight the other guys. One raid to fight him and one raid to uh, basically deflect the horde. Because the thing about Nathanos Blightcaller, because he was a horde NPC, attacking him as Alliance meant that you were flagged for PV- PvP. Yep. And it didn't matter what kind of realm you were on, it was just the act of attacking an NPC from the opposite faction. So Horde would show up to try and ruin these attempts and you would end up, you'd be fighting Blightcaller, who was a powerhouse in and of himself. You couldn't solo the Blightcaller. You couldn't even take like a five-man group and five-man the Blightcaller. You needed the raid. You needed like the full contingent of people. I think people were finally five-manning him in Wrath. Yeah. Like, and it took even then it about wasn't then. <laughs> Yeah. Around level 80, people could take him with five people. He and was you had not. Have, you had to have a blood DK back then, too, because yeah. you needed, you, he would just one-shot a tank otherwise. Yeah. It was it was pretty crazy, and that, that's just kind of a reflection of just how powerful this guy was. But even though this guy was powerful, even though he had a unique name and obviously a unique title and he was in service to the Banshee Queen, he still had that same forsaken male forsaken model that everybody else had. He had a slightly different outfit, but he had the same... He looked like a forsaken. He looked like your standard forsaken. Run-of-the-mill forsaken, yeah. Run-of-the-mill forsaken. In Legion, he's got a new model, and he looks a lot more human, and he looks a lot more like Sylvanas, really. He he's, looks like an actual human being with all of his body parts in place. He even has facial hair. And the red eyes. He's got the red eyes, he's got the pallid skin, and he looks kind of like a mirror image of Sylvanas. There was a reason for that. Sylvanas had a ritual that she wanted done specifically for Nathanos. Now... I, I this part kind of struck me as really interesting because she figured out somewhere along the line that the Valkyr could perform this ritual that would essentially revitalize a Forsaken and keep them from rotting away. Well, she even mentions in the story that it's akin to what happened to her. Like when when she completed her duty or felt that she completed her duty and flung herself from the the top of the spires that when she was brought back, it was the same thing that she underwent, essentially, that she was informed that could be done to others. It's, um, pretty, you, it's pretty much almost identical to what they do to Death Knights. And the yeah. fact that it's the the Valkyr doing it pretty much cements it. It's the Death Knight ritual. It is. And I mean, it's it's similar to a lot of other things as well, which we may get into later. But what's, what strikes me about it, too, is not only is this something that she has theoretically undergone, all of the Dark Rangers have the same aesthetic, which means every single one of the Dark Rangers had to go through this ritual as well because they're not typical Forsaken. They look like the just like Solanus does, an elf that has been preserved, more or less. All of them have the same pallid flesh, the red eyes, everything. They are 100% in this wheelhouse. Um, what I think is interesting about this whole ritual, though, is very specifically what it calls out that it needs as the fuel for it. And this is one of the things that Earlier in the the story, and you can call it like forced foreshadowing, whatever you want to, we are introduced to Nathaniel's nephew. And here he's brought back. He's a paladin. He's a paladin of the light. He's captured. 
He's brought into the Undercity, and he is to be fuel for this because the sacrifices required for the ritual, flesh that is akin to your own. That's really interesting to me because if this process requires flesh of its own, that means it's beyond the Death Knight ritual. It's beyond the other ones a little bit because it needs something that is living as a catalyst. Beyond might actually be the wrong word. Inferior might be the right word. Is it, though? Because yeah, that, because the Death Knight ritual does not require that. The Death Knight ritual, you need to fuel it with your actions. So it might be better or it might be worse. It depends on how you look at it. Or is it the, the price the, of fell? I don't know, because I don't think there's any fell involved. It doesn't see it seems very much necromantic and not fell. Necromantic is shadow. But that's there's a lot of weirdness to this. I mean, necromancy is something that the uh the Legion has had known about for years. I mean, obviously, otherwise the Lich King wouldn't exist. Um Necromancy is something that the Nathrazim who, as we know, are masters of shadow magic, love the Nathrazim are oh, all yeah, over they're, they're akin to it, yeah. So there's there's a lot of con- there's a lot of stuff here that we don't really know yet. Uh, we don't know if it's a better ritual or worse ritual, just a variation on it. We don't know where it comes from. One possibility here is that it's the Valkyr doing it. That means it might actually come from Helia or Titan in general. Well, Helia is the first Valkyr. And she developed sure. a lot of the she developed a lot of the techniques even before she became the Valkyr. She was a master sorcerer. She was so good that she helped Ra make the elemental planes. Right, but we also know that the Titans in general have the ability to essentially shove souls into living and non-living things. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, theoretically, this could all stem from Titan ritualism as well. Theoretically. But I mean, so are we going to talk about that now or are we going to just move on to talking about the story more? Well, what I want to talk about here is actually it kind of ties into that because they have a conversation. Uh, Nathanos and Sylvanas, they have like this little exchange when they're talking exactly about how this works. And Sylvanas, she said that Arthas once forced a Valkyr to raise Death Knights for his army and that that was a much more potent ritual than the one they're currently using to transform corpses into Forsaken. And she tells him, look, they can use their powers to reshape your body and make it stronger and more enduring. And he says his immediate reaction is, well, couldn't they do this for everybody? And she says, no, because it's an arduous endeavor. It's one that they're they're reluctant to undertake. Without the Lich King's energies feeding them, I believe it requires a portion of their own essence to succeed. And he says, if the Valkyr can only do this once, why choose me? So the implication there is that this is a fairly involved thing that they're doing right now. And they can't, yeah, and they can't just do it for everybody. They can't do it for all of the Forsaken and make them all and look like be fair, humans. We kind of seen that in the past, too, with the quest with like the multiple times that Sylvanas has died, where the Valkyr have sacrificed themselves to bring her back. Yeah, it's also interesting to think about this, what it implies about Arthas and now Balvar. Like Arthas was putting out, they were getting the power from Arthas to do what they were doing. When they were ma- raising Death Knights, they were getting the power from Arthas, which meant Arthas had that much power because he wasn't even the getting Lich, the Lich yeah. King was crazy powerful. It's it's kind of obvious that when we beat him, we beat him because he screwed up. Like he could have taken us out, but he kept wanting to prove his point so badly. Like the more I think about it, the, the implications for that, not that, that we're not talking about that today, but it's still there. There's a huge implication that the Lich King really could have just killed us and it would have been over. I mean, heck, so, at one point during the fight, he did literally just kill the entire raid. Like, yeah, it, you, you die. It, it's not a he pretty oh, much flat out says 
yeah, the whole reason I brought you here, you guys came here just like I planned to have you here. You've been training to become stronger and stronger and stronger. And now you're the most powerful warriors that the other side has, which is great because when I kill you and I raise you from the dead, you're going to be an awesome addition to my army. And yeah, it's... Bolvar is scary. Bolvar is like potentially probably one of the worst things ever, and we put him in that spot. But how could we not? Yeah. You know, if we didn't uh, have the Lich King there on the throne, then the Scourge would just be running rampant all over the place. And it, make, and it makes me wonder, too, if there's been any hints about that, because I haven't played a Death Knight in Legion, and I haven't oh, played a Death Knight dude, campaign. Dude, so dude, I have dude. no clue what I've been what told I really need to play a Death Knight. Yeah, um, I have done this. I, I have done the starting quests that took place in Ice Crown, and they are very good. And I recommend playing through those. Joe, you can make a trial account if you want to, and just do it that way. And you don't have to like actually commit to leveling a Death Knight. Um, oh, I have a Death Knight at the right level. I just haven't done it yet. Oh, do then it. you should totally uh, go do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm going to just say this as somebody who leveled a Death Knight to 110. Uh, yeah. The the artifact stuff that comes in now too with seven point two is even more like there's lots oh, more scary it? implications. Yeah, the the getting there's some stuff. Yeah, you know what? Maybe we'll go ahead and talk about that next time because I'd like to I'd like to actually talk about what the Lich King is up to and but, what's going on with all of that. But that's kind of beside yeah, the point not, from this. Um, what a shock! We sidetracked a little. Yeah, um, <laughs> no kidding. So here's but, the deal. Here's the deal. This ritual thing, it required a sacrifice. It required what they called fuel. And they brought in his nephew. They brought in his nephew who had lived out all of his dreams and accomplished everything that he wanted to accomplish when he was a little kid. He got to be a paladin and he fought and everything else. And now he gets to die so that Nathanos can go ahead and continue on. Um, and the implication is there after the ritual is completed there is no body once the ritual is completed there's just an implication that nathanos is either using that body or that body has somehow been incorporated into his own because i think the latter it says that they, the that he's looking in when he looks into the mirror he sees somebody who's not quite him looking back Which yeah, and it makes me seem like, it, it, or at least I would feel that if it's anything similar to the way that Death Knights were formed, is don't forget the original Death Knights were not not souls put back into their own bodies. They were other souls put into the bodies of humans. Like it, it was, it was not the right body for the right inside, so to speak. So I mean, it, it totally could be at least to me it because they never specify. Like when they get up and they they say that they look at the. You know the altar of ash. They never specify which altar he got up. Oh from. no, no, you're wrong. They do because Nathanus is still wearing the same clothes that he was when he yeah, was just a rotting for oh, it okay, says, I must miss it that. It says, he, you know, as he's looking into the mirror, there it says. Then it struck him that the visage he looked upon was not entirely his own. He turned towards the second ritual table, empty save for a bit of ash and a few stains of oily residue. The paladin's armaments, once diligently polished, lay scuffed and strewn about the floor. Nathanos told himself they were merely the detritus of a fallen enemy, only that and nothing more. Yeah. It, Nathanos is still wearing the I'm just the wondering if clothes. they, like, hacked off body parts and gave them... To, like, there's no... I, I it, think, based on the way it works, just my reading of it, it felt more like he literally went up in smoke. Like they, they disintegrated him and used him to rebuild Nathanos. So I think it's like he incorporated the body. That's how it felt. 
I don't think they just chopped him up and stuck him on to Nathanos. I don't know. It, it when they started the ritual, he it just said Nathanos's world exploded in a cacophony of fire and pain, so much yeah. pain, and and you know when it stops and it's all over with, all of a sudden he's wearing a face that doesn't look quite like his, almost but not quite, maybe. So there's there's one other thing here that's kind of interesting to me at the very at the very end of the story here he's like he's getting new armor for himself he's he's picking out new armor he's not wearing the old ratty stuff that he's been wearing forever and at the the very last part of the story he's turning to leave and all of a sudden he notices like the glint of of lamplight on like polished metal or whatever and he sees this finely wrought breastplate that was clean it was well maintained and everything else and then he's thinking back to this ritual thing and for the just the tiniest moment there like the tiniest second he feels regret something beyond the rage or the grumpiness or the anything else that he actually feels a real the grumpiness the grumpiness it's 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 like a real emotion a, a real mortal emotion and forsaken don't feel that kind of thing very often at all well i think that's part of the process too is the fact that he's not He's he's like a super forsaken now. Like you said, he was much more like Sylvanas, and Sylvanas has that problem too, where she can feel mm-hmm. a lot more than most forsaken. Like when we read War Crimes, I think that we both commented on it. Sylvanas goes from emotional extreme to emotional extreme, and the through line is that she's constantly trying to repress it or telling herself, "I don't feel these things because I'm dead," and then goes out and feels them. Like that's Sylvanas can feel a lot more than the average forsaken. There, there was a quest a long time ago, back when you'd first do the original version of Silverpine, where a Forsaken gives you a ring to put on her like father's grave and talks about how the only thing she can feel for him now is hate that he didn't stop this from happening to her. Like all the other emotions are gone. She just doesn't even have them. Isn't she that that quest that, that you did? picked up in Thunder Bluff and then you had to go all the way to... Yeah. Yeah. yeah you had to go to Thunder Bluff, to, from Thunder Bluff to Silver Pine. Okay. Because she, she's like in the, the, the... What do they call those caves in, in Thunder Bluff? The Pools of Wisdom or something? Pools of Vision or something? Pools of, pools of Vision. Yeah. And she sends you all the way back there. And she's like, I know that I loved him, but I don't remember it. Like she, she knows that it was there, but she doesn't feel it. Most Forsaken don't feel anything or feel very distantly uh, for their old lives. They know that they were there, but they don't, it's not. It makes sense. Cause if you're raising an army of, of, of the dead, so to speak, like these are remnants of, of their free will that is coming back to them after they were shackled to the Lich King. Right. Uh, even, even new ones are sort of an imperfect process and, and they've called it out as much a couple times. So when you have beings that had free will that were then stifled in, in death, or on life, whatever you want to call it, and then given pieces of it back, it take. I'm sure that a lot of that is suppressed. That a lot of that is just like that wiring has been broken purposely. Like, and maybe Sylvanas doesn't know understand that completely with the regular Forsaken, or maybe now she does. Now that she's capable of feeling so much more, and I, I like the idea of calling them Super Forsaken because it kind of fits because they're more intact than the rotting corpses that are walking around. Uh, j- in this new life, this new unlife. So they're so more closer it, to the living than, than the others. I think there's like even a little bit of that in the story when Nathanos and Sylvanas are first talking about what he looks like now. He says something like, you know, how do I look? And he tried to make it sound like it meant nothing, but it did mean something to how she felt about it. And oh, yeah. When she smiles. He's trying to figure out how she feels. 
And he's like, is it just pride that she has a new tool or is it something more? Like he didn't used to care. Like he didn't care what her motivations were. He just obeyed her because she was the, the lich, you know, she was the Banshee queen and he just, he was her champion. He obeyed her. And there's she more broke of that him out of it. And it's, yeah, there's a lot of it in the story. It definitely also, feels like he's changed in terms of his motivations for following her are a lot deeper now. And you see some of that too, like with the, when they're walking to the armory and Anya is making comments like he loses Anya's his a dark temper. Ranger. She's a dark ranger. Yes. Um, but she, they're making comments about why Sylvanas did this and they know they're snickering like, you know, teenagers about like, Oh, look, you know, our, our sister, whatever you want to call her is found you know, her new love. And that's why she went through all this trouble. That's I why she did wanna, all this. Yeah. I kind of want to, I want to read that exchange. Cause she says, uh, Anya, and she says, yes, the queen now has a mightier champion, but that wasn't what she most desired. He stopped walking and faced her, and Haythanos narrowed his eyes, infuriated by her invasiveness. Say what you mean. The corners of Anya's lips rose in a brazen curl. Sylvanas defied a kingdom to name you Ranger Lord. She scoured the plague lands to reclaim you from the scourge. And today, she drew upon her most precious resource, aka the Valkyr, to restore your strength. Think upon these things, Blightcaller, and tell me how someone so cunning can be blind to the simplest of truths. And that's a very elven way to do that. Mm-hmm. Which is no wonder it would tick him off. Oh, yeah. It's exactly what he hated when he was human and living among elves. It was the whole reason he decided to go back to the Maristead, because he could not handle the snide sideways, not quite saying what you mean. Even when she's being direct, she's not being direct. Like that was her direct response. And she still didn't say she loves you or she wants you or anything like that. She still played a game with him. Like that's elven directness. No wonder. And he all gets he it. did was glare her down. He just glared her yeah. down because as far as Nathanos is concerned, it's the Banshee queen. She doesn't sit there frippering about and going, Oh, I'm so in love or whatever. No, she's the Banshee queen and he doesn't do it either because the only thing in his heart is rage and contempt. He's her champion, and that's it. Yeah, I don't know that I agree with that. I think that that's what that he's he did, telling himself in yeah, the story. That's, yeah, that's what he's telling himself. But the fact that he feels the the I don't want to say despair, but I don't know what you'd call it regret. The fact that he feels that implies that he feels more than that. That's that's the thing, and that's that's the part that kind of sticks with me. There is because he's talking about oh, all I feel is rage and contempt. I'm just her champion, nothing more. Da 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 da. And then as he's thinking about it, you know he has that moment where he feels regret and the regret could be on several different levels. It could be regret that his nephew had to be sacrificed for him to become what he is now, you know, so that he had this face worth looking at in the mirror. It could be regret that it can't be more than him being her champion because there's nothing else there. There, there's like there's a lot of different levels to what that can be their relationship is really interesting and it's interesting even beyond this story because obviously this all takes place prior to legion um when sylvanas is named war chief he's there at the whole at vulgen's pyre and the banter between the two of them like people were talking about it when they first ran into it in the whole pre-expansion event because the banter between Nathanos and Sylvanas was very flirtatious. It felt that it was like two dead people flirting, but it, they were flirting, right? Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd call it, it's not, 
It is flirtatious, but it's very, it's very almost it's almost Dave and Maddie from Moonlighting. And boy, I dated There's myself. Banter. It's very bantering. Yeah. It's sort of like if if you accept that um, Legolas and Gimli are are bantering kind of flirtatiously. It's like that. It, and of. there's and there's more to it too. Like it, it's like look at look at the whole Stormheim like series of intro quests, at least from the Horde side. Like Nathanos will burn the world to the ground to find her. Like it's not an idle thing. It's not an oh we have to get our queen back. It's I will burn and murder every single living thing between me and her to get her back. And it's not the same thing that we've seen from other missing dignitaries or, you know, even when Varian was missing, there wasn't a whole lot of, okay, let's just wage war every which way we can until we get him back. But with him, he's willing to expend every single one of his resources, call in reinforcements, do what he has to do to find her. And every step away in that quest, as you're finding like the the symbols of her sort of wrecking her way through Stormheim, her swords, her arrows, um, signs of her in combat, things like that. When Nathanos comes up and, and verifies that this belongs to her, it's this you know, these moments of voice acting or, or, or presentation of slightly somber, thoughtful, back to anger, but not anger at like what's happened, the anger that she's not there with him and that he almost feels like he failed her because she came to potentially came to some harm. And it, it's not like the royal protector. Oh, you know, I failed in my duty. It's the oh, no, the person or or the thing that I love most in this world is possibly going to be harmed because I couldn't do my job. It feels strange to call it love, but it is. It's, it's I'm not saying it isn't. What I'm just saying is it it feels strange to call it love because that makes it almost sound like they're still going to do every horrible murderous thing they were going to do. Oh yeah, they do. absolutely are. And it's just it's so fascinating to watch in terms of it. This is not like it's like two people that you know absolutely that they are doomed no matter what happens. They are literally damned. This is not going to end well, well. You know, and this is one of those weird things where I will liken this to an older movie, too. It's almost like natural born killers. Yes, these two people are going to do absolutely horrible, wretched things. But in the microcosm of their own interactions, they love each other. And like it's and, and I'm not saying that as a matter of projection. It's like the way that they care about each other, the lengths that they will go through for each other transcends other relationships in this game. And like between NPCs that we've seen, um, like it, it might even be more obsessive or more, more involved than like, I don't know, like any of the Alliance NPCs we've seen that are, these are actually married couples that like one or the other goes missing, but it's like, I, 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 there's more weight to it is what I'm trying to say. Right. Like I want to go back to this. I want to go back to this in a bit, but, but. Before we do, um, we did get an email regarding the ritual that went on with Dark Mirror, and I feel like we should address that email, and then we're going to go ahead and go back to this, because I do have, I, I have a question and an observation to pose to the both of you. But uh, first off, we've got an email from Lithos, who's a dwarf warrior on Duratan US, who says, Hi, watchers. Lithos, proud dwarf, dwarf warrior of Duratan US and Patreon supporter here. I've been ruminating over the Dark Mirror short story for a day or so now, and I've come to a conclusion that I want your opinion on. It seems to me that an argument can be made for the idea that Death Knights are, in fact, a corrupted version of the storm forging process that Odin uses. I've seen him transform dead Vrykul into Stormforged, 
we've seen his Valkyr do the same, with the revelation on Sylvanas's Valkyr being able to essentially reforge the dead into new stronger forms in a variant of the Death Knight ritual. I now figure that the ability to create Valkyr is something that the Lich King was infused with or taught to Ner'zhul's spirit as part of the process that turned him into the Lich King. This would make Death Knights almost a corrupted titan forge. Just something I've been pondering for a bit. Keep up the good work and have fun, folks. What do you guys think as far as, like, the relationship, the implied relationship so, here between... Well, I think you're leaving... Well, I mean, you want to go first, Gerald? I'll let you go first. Yeah, th- this is something that I've actually thought about. When I talked to you, like, years ago about the story about the Hearthstone and, and everything like that, this actually kind of is part of that as well. Because I've always been curious about this because... This isn't the only ritual that puts a spirit back in the body, and not even in game terms. We have druids have rebirth. Shaman can resurrect themselves. Uh, you have the basic the basic resurrections that all the healers can cast. You have the mass resurrections that healers can cast. And you can argue that those are, are, are light things, but is it really any different? Because you're shoving a soul back into a body. And as players, too, when we die out in the world... We don't die. We go, what do we do? We go back to our bodies and jump back in the corpse. Like, we're not just reborn. We're not just magically, oh, new body's constructed. We're literally putting ourselves back into our fallen form. And it, it interests me because this isn't just a unique concept to the Stormforged, the Titan Forged, um, the Death Knights. This is something that's been around since day one. And I'm very, very curious about if all of this comes from the same root sources, is if everything that's here comes from this weird mix of of being at the middle of all of these planes of existence that, you know, maybe Death Knights are just a perverted version of the Shaman Resurrection, um, or maybe that's all just a perverted version of creating of the Titan Forged. Or because, I mean, here, here's the thing. I understand the Titans are, are arcane in order, but they know about the other things. You can't have infinite knowledge and not understand how to manipulate different forces. You may choose not to, but you at least have somewhat of an understanding of it. Maybe this is all tied together. Um, my, my, my two sons. I was doing some research the other day. Um, one of the things that it says in Chronicle, um, Odin, with the Y, sacrificed his eye to see into the Shadowlands, the realm of death, and learn how to make um, the Valkyr. So that's not from the Titans, he had to go to the Shadowlands and rip out his eye and trade. And here's a question. Who did he trade the eye to? Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that question. Chronicle doesn't say. But that's not knowledge that he got from the Titans. That's knowledge he got from the Shadowlands. Helia would have that knowledge because he made Helia the first Valkyr. And she was she wasn't she just sort of any exists on the edge of the Shadowlands anyway, right? Well, she does now. I mean, she did now. I, if she's actually dead. I don't know. But the whole point was she wasn't like she was more like she was more than a year is a year is the current head of the Valkyr. And she's like a kind of a demigoddess. Helia was more advanced than that, obviously, since Helia gave Sylvanas a lantern that could control a, a year, which means she understands the Valkyr ritual better than a year does. If she can create a device that can control the head of the Valkyr, um, Helia was already a better sorcerer than, than Odin because she was the one that put the Halls of Valor up in the first place. He didn't do that himself. He had her do it. Um, she was so good at creating all, like pocket planes of existence that when they created the elemental planes to imprison the elementals following you know, when they were ordering the world, uh, Master Ra said, hey, Odin, can I borrow your daughter? Because I need somebody that good so I can get this place locked up properly. And he was like, okay. 
And that's where that comes from. So I don't think this is something that the Titans came up with. I don't think it's akin to the curse of flesh. The, the Stormforge thing is basically using that kind of stolen ritual that he got from the Shadowlands to put spirits in Titanforge bodies. These are the bodies are Titanforged. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's the ritual does seem separate from that. So I don't think it's a case of, well, the I reason I'm, it's just it, what I'm trying to say is that the Stormforge themselves, the bodies are immaterial. The fact that he's putting them bo- the bodies in inorganic body, you know, the Titans know how to do that kind of thing because that's what the Mogu sure. do. The Mogu do that all the time. They put their bodies in stone. They put their spirits in stone bodies. That's how they get around the curse of flesh. The question is, do the Valkyrie know how to do this because Helia knew how to do it because Odin gave her that knowledge? Because he would have gotten it when he when he ripped out his eye. That's in Chronicle. He sacrificed his eye to see into the Shadowlands and learn how to create his his you know his new army. And that it would was make part sense. of the part. And it would make sense that he would teach her because that was her task, right? He but, wanted her to be the first of the Valkyrie and then create more. Then you have the problem of the Lich King's involvement, like because the Lich King is Nerzul originally. The first Lich King was Nerzul. Um, and Arthas, as the Lich King, had all of Nerzul's knowledge of necromancy, which was pretty extensive because Nerzul, as we saw from the alternate Nerzul, the, the Shadowmoon clan knew a lot about necromancy because they'd been studying a void lore. You know, they were studying, uh, you know, a, a fallen Naru. They were studying its shadow magic for, you know, however long. They weren't supposed to use that ability. The one from the alternate Draenor did, but our Nerzul didn't. At least until you know they he were was familiar shoved into... enough with the void to know that they should be avoiding it. Yeah, and there's a lot going on here. Like, did did Arthas give them Nirzul's knowledge? Is did Nirzul is it Nirzul's knowledge that Gul'dan used to create Death Knights? Because he couldn't use spell power for that. Well, Here's that, my I guess question, that's what I was... right? Okay. Okay. So when Nirzul was created into the Lich King, right? When when Kil'jaeden transformed him. What happened there was that Nerzul, he hopped a portal to get off of Draenor when Draenor was being shattered. And Kil'jaeden intercepted him and said, yeah, no, we're not done with you yet. And tore his body to pieces until just his spirit was left. Basically tortured him and then encased him in the block of ice and he became the Lich King and all of this. We don't, where was that portal to? The portal that he hopped to? More importantly, is the Lich King, was the Lich King originally Nerzul, or was it some other kind of spirit or entity that Nerzul's spirit was bound to? Or was it the, you know, the Helm of Domination and the armor and the sword, were those created to house his spirit? What if, he, he's... What if he hopped a portal and ended up in the Shadowlands? Maybe. And for that matter, what if the uh, various tools they used to house the, the Lich King's spirit were effectively his version of a Stormforge body. Instead of I sticking a, him in a robot body, they stuck him in those items. Yeah, I had um, a question in the queue over the weekend. I think it was over the weekend, this weekend here, um, where somebody was talking about the relation between, uh, whether there was a relation between what was going on with the Valkyrie raising dead and the Death Knights and what happened with kill Jaden and Ner'zhul becoming the Lich King and whether or not he had had any contact with Helia over that whether like she had given any input into that i'm like well why would that that wouldn't even come into play here because kill wasn't involved with azeroth at all at the time 
and Helia was very much an Azeroth entity. So what you're looking at here is Kil'jaeden found Ner'zhul, made him this thing that had dominion over death or whatever, and sent him to Azeroth. And then, yeah, they probably, you know, butted heads or at the very least contradicted each other because Helia has her Valkyr, right? The Lich King showed up and he basically commandeered her Valkyr. He stole them. And then he started creating more. And but did he this, steal them from her, or did he steal Odin's? That's a good question. And we don't know, right? Like, like they could have come from anywhere. Yeah, we know that. They I don't had think that we village. have the answer to that one, do we? No. Well, we don't. There's... there's that village in um, I, I bloody heck, I don't remember if it's in Ice Crown. I think it's on the edge of Ice Crown. There's a very cool village where they're training up new Valkyr. Yeah, it's up the in the Storm Peaks. We don't know if the traditions of those guys were from Odin or from Helia. Because we don't really know much about it. We just remember that they're there. And it, and it could have been either, right? Because, I mean, the Halls of Valor were once associated with Alduar, and where's Alduar? Yeah. And there's two it's, different it's, villages there. There's the one where they're, yeah. they're, they're fighting to, like, you know, ascend and all this other stuff. And then there's this other village where they want to become the Lich King's Valkyr. They want the Lich King to transform them into Valkyr. Yeah. So it's and like the one the one village almost seems like it's the the tradition of Ayr, right? Because like even and, and now that you're mentioning that, there's a lot of similarities between them and then the village that's right below the Halls of Valor, right where Ayr resides, where all of her priestesses right. are like there, there's the <laughs> the bear riding trials of strength. It's the exact same thing that they were doing in the Storm Peaks. So I'm wondering if and they were maybe trying that to was gain a Thorum's remnant. favor, weren't they? Yeah, it was Thorum's favor. Yeah, they're trying to get Thorin's favor because Thorin was the one who was there. Right. Oh, they couldn't reach Odin. No, because he was and, gone. And it's weird, too, because we know that Odin considers Thorin his son. And they're all Titanforged. See, that's an odd thing. Why is Thorin Odin's son? Much in the same way, much in yeah. the same way that he thinks of Helia as his daughter. He calls Helia his daughter at one point. But I think that has to be the whole, like, I am the greatest, I am in charge of everything, that makes me the father of this group type thing. Yeah, but it's still interesting that, it's interesting that you have these I'm the figures. Dad. I'm the dad of all of you. You have to make I even proud. have Jadgar's voice. <laughs> but, no, it's just, it's interesting to think of the ways these things are, like, interweaving. Intertwined. And, yeah, so, and, that's, and that's what I was trying to hint at earlier, is because there's so many things that do similar things. Like, it's... I'm wondering where the true originating point of it was. Everything seems like its own different flavor of the same ritual almost. Well, that's interesting too with the, with the, with the Nathanos thing. The way I read it is that Nathanos's spirit wasn't put in his nephew's body because his nephew's armor is blackened and destroyed and his and Nathanos's body is still in his original rotted clothing. So it's like they basically did it in verse Instead of putting the Thanos' spirit inside of a, a new living body, they essentially killed the living person and jammed all that was left of him into Nathanos. Whether they did it the way Anne suggested or they just magically, like, you know, ripped him apart. It's much like the they same merged either. them together like a Reese's peanut butter cup. Only we don't know but, which one is the chocolate and which one is the peanut butter. You got my chocolate and my peanut butter. <laughs> you which got is... my Nathanos and his nephew. You got his nephew and... No, that sounds really bad. I'm just going to stop yeah. that train of thought right there. But... Regardless, like, the point it, stands. It reminds me of the way Nerzul was turned into the Lich King, though. Because yeah. it even says when Kil'jaeden got his hands on him, he slowly tore him apart. Yeah, he tore his body time. to shreds and then took his spirit and, like, slapped it in the helm of domination and all of that and cased it in this rock-hard diamond ice and then set that on Azeroth and said, here you go, do some stuff for us. 
And Nerzul had, I, I don't think he ever really wanted to work for, for Kill Jaden because like the entire time that he was on Azeroth, what was he doing? He was trying to break free and he was just doing it really subtly. And by the time the Burning Legion realized what the Lich King was doing, it was almost too late to do anything about it. And, you know, they tried their best. They they got Illidan Stormrage and kind of threw him there and said, take care of this problem. And even Illidan couldn't take care of the problem at that point. He'd gotten too strong. Um, so, yeah, Lysos, I don't know if this addresses your question exactly, but, man, we have a lot of things to think about, don't we? <laughs> Because we do. Because I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm kind of curious now, and I feel like it all kind of ties into how also, the Lich King was created. You know what else it ties into? The still yet as yet unexplained deal between Helia and Sylvanas. Yeah, and we still don't know a, the details of that. No, we don't. And I do want to go back to that, but before I go back to that, there was something else I wanted to say, and I don't know if I'm going to remember it. Oh, okay, so. We still don't know how the Lich King was created. We don't know exactly what that process was. That wasn't covered in Chronicle Volume 2 because it's Third War stuff. And I have a feeling that if we get Chronicle Volume 3 out here, maybe that'll answer a lot of these questions because we'll have a little more clarification at the very least on, on what goes on and maybe some of those weird implied relationships between all these different rituals and the different ways of doing things will be clarified. Um, now, I want to I go back to the subject of love, because let's talk about love. More specifically, let's talk about Sylvanas and, and Nathanos. I find the timing of this very interesting for one specific reason. If you read War Crimes, the entirety of War Crimes is basically the adventures of Verissa and Sylvanas rekindling their relationship with each other, rekindling that sisterly bond to the point where Verissa was even considering going to live with Sylvanas in the Undercity. Um, and at the end, she backed out of it. And there's this terrific, there's this beautiful scene of Sylvanas running through the forest, just randomly killing any wildlife or creatures that happen to get in her way. And having a fit and swearing to herself that she would never, ever, ever attempt to love again. Because obviously, you know, when that whole thing was going on throughout war crimes, one of the implications there was that Sylvanas was beginning to feel again. She was beginning to feel what it felt like to, to you know, have that kind of familial love with your relatives and that kind of, that sisterly bond. Um, and that was broken. And she told herself very, like, absolute at the end of that novel that she'd never attempt to love again. So then we get to Warlords of Draenor and she doesn't really do too much in Warlords of Draenor. We don't see her very much at all. She's biding her time on Azeroth doing some other stuff. And then we get to Dark Mirror which is after Warlords, so a year or so later and that's when she decides to do this with Nathanos. Despite the fact that she knew about this ability that the Valkyr had, like, all the way back, I mean, obviously she knew about it when she died and she was resurrected. She knew about it back then. She knew that they were capable of this thing. She didn't think about implementing it. She didn't think about doing this with Nathanos until just now. Do we think that maybe the events of war crimes and what she experienced in war crimes had some kind of influence or effect or 
maybe that was the reasoning for her decision to do this now, or was there a different reason for it? What do you guys think? Honestly, um, I think it's very possible that what she went through with Farisa might have pushed her into doing this because I think, you know, I don't know how to put this properly. Um, who's the one person she will never have to lose? Nathanos, because he's dead already. And more importantly, will he leave? No. No, he's utterly devoted. If anybody has proved he isn't going anywhere, it's Nathanos. Nathanos has straight up proved that he is loyal to a fault, to his own detriment. He is loyal. He isn't going anywhere. He's safe. Do you know what I'm saying? And it fits with the comments of the uh, the story too. Like when they're when we're just talking about it with Anya and the 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 Dark Rangers when they're talking about it, it's that statement rings true. Think about all these things and understand the truth of it. Yeah, I mean, she desires what what does she desire most in this entire world? And we saw this with with her trying to convert her sister companionship. She needs she needs somebody at her level. She doesn't have that now. She does. And the thing is, with, with her sister, the way that went, um, it was very much, it was a very twisted form of love, and that she was going to murder her sister in her sleep. So that and her she sister even, would stay by her side forever. Yes. She was going to kill her, you know, and she'd do it when she was unconscious. She didn't want to hurt Farisa. You know, it was going to be much better than when she came over, because Sylvanas' was horrifying. Sylvanas was murdered by the, by the Lich King slowly, and then... He ripped her soul out of death, and and again, he didn't when when he did it. He wasn't a Lich King yet; he was a Death Knight. He didn't put her soul back in her body. He twisted it and made it a banshee. She did that. She went and found her body and she got it back. She had to reclaim her body herself. Yeah. So her experience was horrifying, and you see it with both Nathanos and her sister. Nathanos's wasn't pleasant; it was incredibly painful. But compared to what Sylvanas went through, it was nothing. She wants it to be better for the people she cares about. She just has no ability to think like a living person anymore. She can't think, wait, maybe they don't want to be grotesque, evil, magic, animated corpses for eternity. And despite, despite the horrifying thing that she wants to do to Verisa, and despite the anger that she felt at the end of the novel, the points where she was feeling, all of a sudden she was feeling that love again were very they were pleasant they were weirdly pleasant it was it was a feeling that she hadn't experienced in forever i don't even think it's in spite of i think it's because of yeah like i think it's directly related sylvanas if you know it was an expression of love she's like she's like she meets varice again and she's expecting it to be horrible and halfway through in in war crimes varice's like halfway through their first meeting varice says something and Sylvanas like smirks and it's like she almost you can almost feel the way the story is written you can almost feel like her herself she makes an expression and then like her face twitches and she's like what did I just do there's a whole part where she talks like it's like a phantom limb I be- I remember that's the exact phrase she uses it's like a phantom limb like sh- like I shouldn't be able to feel this like and yet she can yeah and I don't think she- that's why I think the whole the bit in the end where Nathanos feels regret. I think they don't understand how alive they are because they are dead, but, but they're not quite, he even says that he's like, he's, I, when she asks how he feels dead, but not quite. So 
right? Like, yeah, it's this weird kind of in between, and it's an in between where all of a sudden he's noticing things like how the dead people in Undercity smell. Yeah, you know, all of a sudden I, he's he never cognizant of these before. things that he wasn't that he wasn't really cognizant of before as a Forsaken. It's like a halfway awakening of sorts. The curse um, of the super Forsaken. And the the funny part, well, not the funny part, not haha funny, but just interesting funny, is that what she wanted to do to Varisa was bring her down to that level from a living creature. What she wanted to do with Nathanos was elevate him up from Forsaken to that creature. Mm-hmm. And she got what she wanted out of Nathanos. But did she really want it from Nathanos? Or was this just her way of trying to get that thing that she couldn't get from Varisa? I don't. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, it's reductionist that way. I don't think that she's settling for him, but I, I think, think she would have tried it anyway. Yeah. But even if she had gotten her sister, I think she would have done it. Is but, it him that she wants or is it that feeling? Oh, it's both. I, I yeah. definitely think that that feeling colors it, but it definitely is him because there's a point where she, there, there's a point where he makes a very specific point. She went and got him when he was a rotting nothing, when he was literally so mindless that he could not stop eating a dead person. Like when she showed up with her dark Rangers to get him, he was eating a woman. Yeah. yeah. He, and, and he basically just like, you know, did the Lich King send you to interrupt me? But he doesn't even say this. There's no words. He just hisses. And she goes, Nathanos. And then that's like, it hits him. And he's like, what? And then she like basically Banshee screams it at him. And that's what breaks him out of it. He is important. He isn't just a plaything. He isn't just a possession. He's important because of what he signifies. The, and I think that's why the the story opens with them on the stead when they were both alive. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, it's that same thing when when he, when she sees Varisa again and she's like, what is this? And Nathanos has always symbolized that choice she made, that thing she did that nobody approved of. Well, not only that, take it even a step further. There, and this is something that is a common feeling among especially our type of people, our geeks out there. You have two types of family. You have the family you're born with and the family you choose. And Nathanos was very much a family she chose. Whether whether you want however you want to define that, whether it's a simple companionship, love, whatever, she chose him. That is a sense of self to her, just like you're saying. So like she has her sisters. She wanted her sisters. She has Nathanos. She wanted Nathanos. Like, what is existence if not derived meaning from the family around you? Or at least some otherly, overly poetic thing, whatever you want to insert here. But it's 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 that moment that she's realizing that, yes, she's in this in-between phase. She's in this moment where she even talks about her people, her people. Well, even the Forsaken technically aren't her people anymore. She's above that. Nathanos is her people. Like that's and even more so because he was once family to her. He's now family again. He's on the same level playing field that she is, at least biologically at this point now, too. And I think that's kind of an important distinction where it's like, for lack of a better term, her humanity is sort of creeping back in. Okay, well, we don't really know what's going to happen to Azeroth's oddest couple ever, but it's certainly interesting to talk about. They're cute in a really weird, dark kind of way. They're Uh, all mod. 
if you're if you're interested in reading it, Dark Mirror is available for free on Blizzard website. You can go read it now. It's a fairly short story, but the implications that it kind of leaves behind and makes, particularly in conjunction with everything that we read in War Crimes, is really interesting, and you should definitely go give it a read if you haven't. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience and for you guys if you're interested i know we talked about war crimes quite a bit here there is an audio version of war crimes available um for the listeners of blizzard watch audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service you can download war crimes or any other title as part of that whole free download if you'd like and you all you have to do to get that is to go to blizzardwatch.com slash audible and sign up for your free trial so um i have one more thing to mention to you guys and i don't know this might actually become a longer conversation without my meaning for it to be but we have in legion sylvanas going to stormheim specifically to make a deal with helia get a lantern to try and control air a year i i can't talk today a year a year, yeah. thank you. Anyway, she's she made a deal with Helia, essentially, to get a lantern, to go control this Valkyr for some purpose. Now, I want to know what you guys think that purpose is, but before you offer your suggestions, I'm going to offer my own, or at least suggest something. In this short story, they talk about how the Valkyr of the Lich King were able to sustain themselves off of the energies of the Lich King. I think that she's getting this lantern because she wants her Valkyr to do the same thing and have that same kind of symbiotic relationship where they're taking their energies from her. Maybe. My thing is... Using the lantern to subjugate her, you know, keep her in place so that they can simply feed and do what they need to. You mean from Ayer? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I thought you meant from her, from Sylvanas. No, no, like, no, well, from she Ayer. She wants to kill herself? No, 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 not well, herself. Not herself. She views no. Ayer on the same level as the Lich King, a I, source for energy, and that's I what she was know. up to. But that's my theory on the that. subject, so what I want to know here, final question, is why do you think she made that bargain? What was her endgame with getting that lantern and having I that control? Joe, go ahead. We- resource expansion but not in the the same way because if you think about it right what's one of her driving goals she's been looking for a way to preserve her her race and to have their race propagate the forsaken she you know her people if you take control of air and put her in a place where you can make air not exist anymore you can force the other valkyr who theoretically have the same ability as helia's valkyr and the lich king's valkyr to basically force them to do your bidding then you don't have to worry about expending your resources because you're expending somebody else's resources resources that are directly tied to odin resources that are tech are directly created from his titanic power helia gets to keep her valkyr who now are no longer being used as batteries by solanas and at the same time helia gets to her odin it's a win-win for both players involved that's what I think it was. I don't think it was necessarily that Ayer was going to be the battery. Odin was going to be the unwitting battery. Okay. Rossi, what do you think? Uh, I think the ultimate plan was quite simple. Get control of Ayer. Through Ayer, get control of all the uh, Odin's Valkyr. And make all Forsaken like herself and Nathanos. Yep. Make them the super Forsaken. 
Yeah. So now they they basically all like Death Knights because the Death Knight is so far superior to uh, Forsaken. Even like the only Death Knights who even have any of the problems of Forsaken are the ones who were Forsaken before they became Death Knights. And even those guys, stuff's not falling off anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like there's yeah, they're not. They're frozen you know, in the state of decay that they were in when they were when they died the second time. Like, you mm-hmm. know, death for for second death nights, man. <laughs> oh yeah, I've died they died twice. Like doubly so... bad. They died twice. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, in terms of like death nights, one of the things I, I I've always thought interesting is like when you play them, death nights, death nights and Sylvanas have completely. They don't look like they're rotting at all. Like there's no like stuff's not falling off. They're not decaying. And what does that say about their brains? Like, you know, their, their physical structure, is it more intact? Is that why they can feel more? Is that why death knights have the whole suffer well thing? Because they have to keep inflicting that pain. They don't, Sylvanas doesn't have to go around hurting people to stay what she is. So if she makes all forsaken like that, now they're, they're doing better, you know? So, and they'd be, you know, much harder to stop quite frankly. So that's where I think that was going. Okay. I still think we're probably going to learn more about this when Chronicle Volume 3 comes out. And I, I, I'm hoping that we see an announcement in regards to that at some point in the near future here. If you have any questions for us here on Lore Watch regarding this story or anything else, really, I think next time we're probably going to talk about Death Knights because, honestly, this is kind of an entertaining topic and I want to keep doing it. So, yeah, if you have any questions for us, send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Put Lore Watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. Thanks very much for listening, guys, and we will see you in two weeks. 